Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. Probably like you, I'm still trying to sort through the broader global implications of the UK's divorce from the European Union. One area I was particularly interested to learn more about was how Brexit would affect global development. Both the European Union and the United Kingdom are important players in international development. In fact, the EU is the single largest foreign aid provider, and the United Kingdom's own aid programs run by the Department for International Development, or DFID, are considered some of the more innovative agencies in this space. Also, the UK is just one of the few countries to have actually met a commitment to spend 0.7% of its gross national income on global development. So it would seem that the fallout from Brexit could potentially be pretty profound. To go over these big issues, I caught up with Michaela Gavis of the Overseas Development Institute, which is a highly respected UK-based think tank that focuses on global development issues. And Michaela in particular works on pan-European global development policies, so she is able to offer a really interesting insight into these questions. Also, towards the end of the interview, Michaela expresses some consternation that as a British expert on EU policy, she may soon lose some credibility with her continental peers. If you are a global development nerd, Michaela will give you a lot to chew on. If you're a more casual observer of international affairs, this conversation, I think, offers a good distillation of one way in which Brexit may have some profound global implications. As always, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to subscribe on iTunes, get the app, Get in touch with me if you like to recommend people I should interview or topics I should cover. And if you are a returning listener, thanks for keep on listening. Help spread the word about this podcast. We're growing pretty fast these days, and I think that's largely due to uh, you guys spreading the word about the podcast. So thank you. And now here is Michaela Gavis of the Overseas Development Institute. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. What we do know is that the exit will result in less UK aid in sterling and in dollars. And that's because of um, a lower gross national income, the GNI, okay, which will result in a lower budget for DFID. You know, it's not sure yet how much lower, but it's it's pretty sure that you know the um, the impact on the currency and GNI overall will result in a lower budget. That's to say, it's not going to impact on the commitment to zero point seven percent of aid um, uh, of GNI for development. Um, that that target will remain, as far as I can tell, unless you know some 
new government comes in who who decided that they 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 want to kind of um abolish this cross party consensus and abolish that commitment but 0.7 as far as i can tell will remain it's just that um in volume terms uh, uk aid will be less because of the lower gni uh, and so the idea is the British economy is taking a hit. And so 0.7% uh, of GNI is a lower number now because uh, the economy is expected to uh, decline. Exactly. On the other question, you, you mentioned a cross-party consensus on uh, maintaining that commitment of 0.7% of, of GNI, which is a UN target that only a few countries have, have uh, agreed to, uh, but the UK is one of them. Is it fair to assume that the same political forces uh, that uh, are calling for Brexit or are calling to leave the EU are also in favor of uh, eliminating that 0.7 percent target. I mean, the thing is, there there isn't a, a, unif- a single unified voice um, calling for Brexit. But essentially, the um, I mean, the 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 mainstream parties um, have have given their commitments to 0.7 percent. I personally believe that commitment is not under threat. Also, because 0.7% has been enshrined in law uh, in the UK, I don't think there'd be any appetite at this point in time, given the huge job that will need to be done, both from a legal and economic point of view, as the UK withdraws from the EU. So I don't think there'll be the appetite to then re-enact um, uh, or, or reopen that uh, legislation. Can we also expect, as a consequence of this vote, that British uh, commitments to the European Union's own aid programs might also uh, decline or, in some cases, be totally eliminated altogether? Um, yes, I think we can expect that. Um, so, so just to give you a bit of a background, so the UK channels funds for development cooperation and humanitarian aid through two budget lines, um, which are both managed by the European Commission. The, the first is the development part of the EU budget, uh, which includes funding for countries like Asia, Latin America, the Middle East, North Africa. And then there is a separate budget, which is not part of the main EU budget. It's an intergovernmental fund uh, called the European Development Fund. Uh, this is voluntary. It's intergovernmental. As I said, it's not part of the main EU budget. And that is focused on um, sub-Saharan Africa, the Caribbean, and the Pacific. Um, and, and in fact, some of the most poorest and most vulnerable countries in the world. Um, now, the EU is the second uh, of the UK's largest multilateral aid partners. Okay, The first is the World Bank, or the IDA part of the World Bank. The EU is the second, right? So that means, essentially, if, you know, adding up all the, the sums, it means that with UK exit of the EU, around 10% of the UK's aid budget will require reallocation to either its bilateral program or some of its other multilateral partners. So this is about 10% of the UK's budget. 
Um, and and is it fair to assume though that it that part of the budget will still go to aid as opposed to other national priorities? Yes, yes, it it is um, fair to assume that um, it it will have to go to aid. This is DFID's budget. And it's part of what makes up the, the 0.7%. Mm-hmm. Okay, so DFID is the, the UK's Department for International Development. Um, how does the UK do bilateral aid differently than um, how the European Union does multilateral aid projects? Like, why are there kind of two different streams? Like, what is the comparative advantage of the EU's pool of development assistance funds as opposed to, say, a single country's bilateral aid program? Well, um, so DFID's bilateral aid program focuses on um, a set of priority countries. I think there are 28, um, uh, possibly more now. Um, and these are, are countries that, you know, uh, are a real sort of focus for UK aid. Um, so DFID will set its priority countries and its and also its thematic focus. So what sort of areas it's going to concentrate in in those countries. Now, um, by by channeling money through the EU, the, DFID is able to reach many more countries than it would otherwise reach through its bilateral program. And many of these countries are important partners for DFID, they're Commonwealth countries, for the UK, in fact, um, uh, but are not part of its priority country list. So it can reach many more countries. Um, it's, it, it's able to, to pool resources, um, which, which, um, and, and also coordinate, um, aid with all the other 27 um, uh, member states who all have bilateral aid programs as well. So it's very much about pooling. It's about coordination. Um, and it's also about, you know, forcing um, some of the EU members and, and some of the newer members, in fact, to ensure that they play their part and contribute to global development. So it's a mechanism through which um, the UK was able to influence um, the other um, 27 member states That's interesting and, and really to me. pool and, and coordinate resources. So the idea is that not all of these newer countries, say like, I don't know, Hungary or Romania, have as robust um, aid or bilateral aid programs as the United Kingdom. Uh, so this is a way of ensuring that those smaller countries, those newer entrants to the EU still do their part. Exactly, exactly. And, and DFID was quite instrumental in sort of leading the debate and the discussion at the European level about what makes for effective development, you know, sharing the knowledge, encouraging these newer players to adopt the right, you know, the right values and norms um, that DFID espouses. So from the perspective of, of an aid recipient, say you're an NGO in Zambia or a government program in Zambia that um, relies on EU aid for, you know, to, to, to run some programs, um, how might your programming be affected or, or do we know? It's really difficult to say um, at the moment. Um I mean, when DFID withdraws, obviously they'll, or when the UK withdraws, obviously there'll be less 
money in the budget. I mean, the question um, that is sort of playing around in my mind is, I understand that, you know, um, DFID will will withdraw its contribution from the main EU budget, and and that's uh, the development part of that EU budget, which, you know, um, uh, provides assistance to Asia, Latin America, the Middle East, and so on. But this European Development Fund for Africa, the Pacific, and the Caribbean, this is an intergovernmental fund. So the question in my mind is, even if DFID withdraws, will there still be the opportunity to continue to use the mechanism of the European Development Fund? Um, and and that's it, it's unclear at the moment. Um, but nevertheless, apart from that, if if the UK does have to withdraw from the from the European Development Fund, it will need to find some other way of being able to support those countries, um, especially the Commonwealth countries, as I said before, which you know are important players for the UK as a whole. Um, and and you know how how it's going to still be able to reach those countries, and it won't necessarily happen through just re- reallocating their money through the World Bank. So my my what you know my question is whether they'd be able to come to some sort of agreement um, with the European Commission on you know to continue to to uh, participate and pool money um, through the European Development Fund. That is, that, it's just unclear at the moment. Um, another question I have. So we've been talking about uh, official sort of sources of, of development assistance, uh, but beyond sort of the, the official channels, there's also the NGO community of which you are, are a member. You're with the Overseas Development Institute, a, a think tank and NGO based in the UK. Uh, there's also Oxfam, another very large organization based in, in the UK. Um, how might this affect your daily work as, as uh, uh, someone working for a British organization? you know, who is working on these kind of big development issues. Is there any way that you expect this might affect how you go about your day-to-day job or organization like Oxfam might operate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, the ODI is, um, it's, you know, it's a development think tank, which doesn't really, you know, constrain itself to particular borders, so you know, whilst we 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 are you know the UK's leading think tank on international development, I mean uh, our our work is 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 about you know bringing independent um, the independent evidence base to policy make makers and and to influence and shape policy wherever that may be in the world. Um, the reality, though. Is that um, you know we have uh, a number of um, contracts, framework agreements um, with the European Union. We work a lot with European partners, with think tanks, and so on, to um, to try and influence um, and shape European Union policy on development. I think um, our credibility, um, our legitimacy, even in the same way that government's legitimacy in, in trying to shape um, EU policy uh, is, um, has, has now basically disintegrated, frankly. Um, 
That's, that's if, I mean, I guess if I'm going to be completely honest. Just like the UK's, I mean, I think Brexit has really marred the UK's ability to, well, it will mar the UK's ability to act as a global leader um, in, in the EU, but also in the world, in fact, and in particular in the development space. And I, I worry that that will also kind of um, be reflected in, in the way ODI is perceived as well. We do make the case that what we are doing is trying to bring independent evidence to bear on policymaking. Like you might worry that you'll have a harder time getting your phone calls returned in Brussels. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a real problem for me. I've spent the last, I don't know, um, 15 years of my life um, trying to um, shape and influence um, the direction of European Development Corporation, you know, the, the effectiveness um, of uh, EU aid and... Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite problematic being located in the in the UK and as a UK think tank. Um, now you know my my essentially my credibility is um, uh, is no longer valid. <laughs> well, any any final thoughts before I let you go on what's next uh, and and how you are proceeding in these uncertain times? Yeah, I mean. You know, one criticism that I do have, actually, of of the UK in the development sphere, in the EU development sphere, has been that actually, if you look within DFID, there's been there hasn't been much time and thinking, um, you know, to to actually influence um, EU policy making on development. You know, there's been a there, there's always been a sort of a quite a small and marginalized team on Europe within DFID, um, which is, 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 you know, in stark comparison to um, the effort that was being put into some of the other multilateral institutions, you know, the UN and the international financial institutions. So, you know, I, I did have the sense that, you know, there wasn't really that much of a concerted effort to try and and shape EU policy um, uh, and thinking uh, on development um, from from within DFID, and I, I felt and I feel that's not really commensurate with the amount of money that is actually being channeled um, through the EU. But but uh, my my final point is that I think the biggest challenge the government is going to face, and this is a challenge on development and generally in international affairs is to basically ensure that the world doesn't think that the UK has turned inwards and become isolationist. All right. Thank you all for listening. I suppose we will see how this shakes out over the next few weeks and months. Uh, Hold on to your hats. All right. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.